Welcome to our next conversation on the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. If you're planning for your life after you graduate from the world of full-time work, your health is probably at the very top of your list. But what are some practical things you can do to enhance your well-being? Our guests today have a lot of answers. Touted as Doctors of the Future by Dean Ornish, MD, and with their work supported by many experts, including Sanjay Gupta, MD, Dr. Alona Polday, and Dr. Matthew Letterman, combine conventional Western medicine, Chinese medicine, lifestyle medicine, nonviolent communication, polyvagal theory and trauma-informed somatic principles, and pain reprocessing to create their groundbreaking health paradigm. They have been successful corporate leaders, starred in the life-changing documentary, Forks Over Knives, lectured for eCornell, served as adjunct medical school professors and corporate medical advisors, and are New York Times bestselling authors. Their new book, Wellness to Wonderful, is down-to-earth with relatable guidance and practical advice for a healthy and vibrant life. They bring the book's principles to life in We Heal, a virtual healthcare model built on their book's nine fundamental pillars of health, self, nutrition, activity, play, sleep, family and friends, work, spirituality, and the natural world. As evidence of the model's efficacy, the Florida-based physicians point to results showing reversal of chronic illnesses like type 2 diabetes and heart disease, weight loss, and increased overall well-being. With chapters dedicated to each of the model's core pillars, Wellness to Wonderful aims to guide readers from the stress and chronic illnesses arising from living in survival mode to a dynamic, thriving, and optimized life that is truly wonderful. Together, they have co-authored six books, including the New York Times bestseller, Forks Over Knives Plan, Forks Over Knives Family, and Keep It Simple, Keep It Whole. The new book, Wellness to Wonderful, interweaves medical science, psychology, spirituality, and life wisdom to help people achieve lasting health, vibrancy, peace, and joy. You'll find their full bios and links to information in the new book and their website in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to meet both of you. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. Yes, wonderful. Thank you. So what inspired you to write this wellness book after the success of your film, Forks Over Knives? So as a blessing and a curse, Matt and I are always maintaining curiosity around how to optimize our lives. And that's what led us to nutrition and lifestyle medicine in the first place, focusing on diet and activity and sleep. And a lot of the areas that we generally associate with optimal health. But what we noticed along the road is even in optimizing our diet, even in getting enough sleep, even in being regimented about activity, we still weren't feeling optimized. We were well, maybe, but we wanted our life to be wonderful. And we say that in the book and it really resonates with us, but in a world of infinite possibilities, why can't our life be wonderful? And so that kind of sparked the journey to what would make it wonderful? And we came upon the nine different pillars that we share in the book. And we feel like each one of those is a key element in taking your life from chronic disease to wellness and way up to wonderful. And I think it's important to point out that it's not about being happy all the time or everything's working out in your life. It's about being connected to yourself, your feelings, your needs, to other people in a way 
that brings a sense of inner peace and connection and joy, even in the bad times. Suffering happens not from unpleasant emotions, but from dealing with those unpleasant emotions alone, suppressing them, hiding them. So how do we, and actually what we like to bring it into the health field is that when you suppress these emotions and you are disconnected and isolated, isolated has an impact on your physical health. And it stimulates pro-inflammatory pathways similar to how diet or sedentary lifestyle or not exercising does. And that's why we think it's important to bring it all together. And one of the anecdotes you shared was the impact of a physician on the health outcomes, just in terms of how empathetic they were versus ones who weren't. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, there's really interesting data. I mean, definitely more of it, but empathic They looked at empathic doctors and the impact of high empathy doctors versus doctors rated on low empathy on a scale. And they found that high empath doctors had patients with 25% lower LDL cholesterols, 29% better hemoglobin A1C, which is a long-term blood sugar number. They found that doctors that you had higher trust relationships, when they stimulated you with the same painful stimulus as someone with a low trust relationship, they experienced more pain and the pain centers in their brains lit up more when you had low trust with your doctor. So what's interesting to me about that is that the connection with the doctor affects the physical health of the patient. And I think that studies like that, we can, was just preparing some more studies that I found on suppression of emotion and how it affects, negatively impacts your microbiome. And changes the bacteria and the numbers of bacteria and the the healthy versus the unhealthy bacteria. So we're starting to see that it's the how we relate to each other affects your physical health. And not so it doesn't just feel good. It's essential for good health on all these fronts. Does that does that make sense? Yes, it seems like it takes a mind-body connection, another step to connect it with the impact right. of others. Right. Because a lot of people I've talked to in the past say, oh, it's nice to have. It's great. It feels good. But I'm not, I don't, whether it feels good or not, it affects your physical health. Just like nutrition, the, before we got a nutrition, people would say, ah, oh, yeah, maybe it helps a little bit to eat better. No, no, no. Nutrition can reverse chronic disease. So I think we just have to get around the impact that this can have and then embrace it. Because not only does it feel good, it makes you better and healthier. And your earlier work definitely made that case. And I'm curious, what led you to discover that diet isn't the whole picture in preventing and reversing disease? Tell me more about why it isn't. Yeah. So, you know, Matt and I have experimented with our own nutrition and obviously are passionate about plant-based nutrition and practice a plant-based diet. And I would say it's pretty pristine. And yet, even on the plant-based diet, and we noticed that not just in ourselves, but in others who were following the plant-based diet, many chronic diseases can be prevented and reversed. But there are still those that linger, things like feeling exhausted and depleted and chronic fatigue and some inflammation issues in the body and gastrointestinal issues that that results in. So some of these lingering symptoms would remain despite having a really clean plant-focused diet. And that, again, in people who are active, in people who get the optimal amount of sleep, 
but we're living in a state of chronic stress. And that has become a real issue for a lot of people. And we don't realize what the impact of that stress is on our body physically and the toll that it takes in leading to disease and illness. And and there's a couple of pieces here, right? So when you have, let's say, irritable bowel syndrome, right? Or some type where your gut just doesn't feel good, right? You eat food, things just don't work right. Nutrition is so important, but also connection is important, right? Mind body alone won't fix it if you're eating a really unhealthy diet. If you're eating in a, a really clean diet, but you're not doing the mind body, you're going to have problems that remain as well. So there's, it's really important that, that we, we put together all nine of these pillars to make sure that you hit all of the pieces. And that's what we're doing in this book that's so exciting to me is that people will, oh, I'm doing the great diet, but this isn't where I am. Oh, I'm, I'm doing all the mind-body care, but this is, you got to put all the pieces together and then it flows and then you got to give them tools. So when they say, hey, I'm open to the diet, what are some tools to make the changes? Hey, I'm open to increasing connection. What are some tools to actually do that? Oh, I want to be more self-connected with my feelings and needs. What do I actually do? And that's the next step is to give them clear, specific, doable strategies. And how would you describe the key elements of your essence of We Heal model? Yeah, so the essence of We Heal model is based on these nine fundamental pillars. We call them our pillars of practice. And it really starts, Matt mentioned that, but it is it starts with the self in a discernment around what am I needing? What am I feeling? What am I needing? It's an authentic connection with yourself to even have awareness that things aren't working the way you'd like them to. And once we have that discernment, that awareness, then we can start tending to these other pillars, things like activity and nutrition and sleep and play, which is something that is so important and we have completely forgotten about as adults, at least most adults have. And then our connection, not only our connection to family and friends and work and our coworkers, but a connection to spirituality or something bigger than us. We are not alone. And so many of us feel alone and isolated. So just that notion of connection to something greater than us And then to our natural world, to the world around us, to the animals and plants and the environment that we live in on a day-to-day basis. And and what's helpful about the nine pillars is that you don't have to get them all right. You just have to tend to them and care about them and use that as a guide. In fact, it's a lifelong journey. I will never be at a point where all my pillars are optimized and I don't have to think about that. Life is just wonderful all the time, right? That's not how it works. And to me, that's another important piece that you use it, especially when you're not able to say life is wonderful. Now you have an opportunity to check back in and usually one or more of your pillars is out of balance. And that's why it's on an infinity because it's really about a flow, not a destination. So we, we have a lot of people, you know, late forties, early fifties, the thirties, they spent really getting their career in place and trying to accumulate wealth or doing things like that. And then all of a sudden the career is on autopilot. They can do it in their sleep. They've got an nest egg saved up and they're just like, not really sad. Like, what else do I do? Because they were living in sort of this mode of almost mobilized to like, get the job right, get the skills down, make the connections, make the money. And now all of a sudden, when you're out of that survival mode, you turn around, you're like, well, what needs do I have right now? 
And that's really important. So we say, okay, let's check in. What needs, what, how are you feeling? What needs are alive? What would bring you meaning and purpose now, right? You don't have to be scared anymore about all this other stuff that you were scared about in your 20s and 30s. What can we do? So again, the pillars, that's just an example of how we can apply the pillars because if you can't say, life is pretty great, life is wonderful, then we can, t- we, we can know where to go now. We know what to do. And I think that's really empowering because many of us, especially as we get into our 40s, 50s, and you know, there are a lot of boxes that we have checked, you know, whether it's partner check, children set for some people check, job check, house check. And still at the end of the day, there's not that sense of joy. There's not this experience of life as a state of being wonderful. So having when you're like, well, I'm doing everything right, and still it kind of feels Nah, it feels kind of hopeless. And so having that empowerment to say, oh, there are other things that I haven't tended to in a while or wasn't aware of their importance. And that's empowering to say, oh, there is something to do and I have options here. Right. And, and that's what's, I love this because if you don't know about this, the information that's in the book, you might make the mis, I'm going to use a quotes, right? Because I don't want it to be judgmental, but you might go down a road of, oh, let me get a second house. Let me get that vacation house, right? Which I'm not saying is a problem, right? It's not a, it's not a, a negative in any way. But if you're assuming that doing what you did before is necessarily going to all of a sudden answer a question that wasn't answered the first time around, then our invitation is to say, regardless of what you do with the second, third, fourth house, right? You look inside because we've been, we're used to assessing what to do and what success looks like through external factors. And we want to teach people to look in, inside and intrinsically decide what is going, what's meeting their values, what's working for them. So that we grew up, we were good, good kids, quote unquote, and then good students, quote unquote, and then good workers, quote unquote. Why? Because our parents and our teachers and our bosses told us so when we did what they wanted. That's all external motivation. We want people to go internal, and that's where the wisdom is. That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned before that all nine pillars tied together, and you can use it to raise your awareness to check in of of where where you're at. But let's say someone listening is eating a healthy diet. Let's say they listened to your earlier work and have applied that. Are there one or two pillars that they would benefit most by focusing on next? And I appreciate that may vary person to person, but what do you see are the most fundamental among the pillars, if any? Yeah, I think when I'm asked that question, my response is when, because depending on when it is, you know, it could be, oh, you know, last night I got a really poor night's sleep. So sleep is something that I feel like I really need to tend to today and make sure that that's in place. or oh, I'm just really disconnected from my family and I'm noticing a lot of a lot more arguments and I'm feeling more stressed around my communication with them. And that's where I might need to tend to next. So it really is an individual opportunity for discernment. And to see, like Matt said, when things are aligned and when those nine pillars are relatively in balance, not perfect, but in balance, life will feel wonderful. And when life doesn't feel wonderful, it's the opportunity to go back and reassess and take inventory of these pillars and see which ones need attention and then which one might need the most attention. And I I mean, for me, a, a great example is when we're preparing for this book launch, my 
pillar around play got way out of balance. And then I said, wow, I'm, I could feel it. I was mobilized. I was just, and then this past weekend, I took some time and said, I'm going to really tend to that pillar. I had a great time with some friends and it was out in a cabin in the middle of nowhere and just laughing and having a great time for three days. So for me, I came back feeling refreshed, even though now I'm actually under the weather and I have a little cold, I'm feeling fantastic, right? So it's really powerful to have this, this framework to rely on. And that's what makes this concept of life is wonderful, a little bit more tangible, right? Because, okay, this is actually possible. That makes sense to use it to check in with what needs attention, which one needs the most attention at that, at that time. Thank you. So you mentioned play before. And when I coach people who are heading into retirement, who are graduating from the world of full-time work and are looking for their really next act, it could include work or not. One of the assessments I give them is from designing your life. And it's a dashboard, four elements, work, relationships, health, and play. And then spin it forward to five years from now. And invariably, the lowest in current is play and the highest in future is play. But as you mentioned, it's something we often have to relearn. Why is play so important and how can people reconnect with play? I think one of the most beautiful gifts that play provides us is presence. In that moment, you are so absorbed in something that is bringing joy and that you are having fun doing. And it's really, it's almost impossible to be stressed and mobilized and play at the same time. And that's a huge benefit. You see children and children's natural desire is to play. They also are naturally inclined to be very present. And that is something that gift that allows us to have that discernment as well. When we are able to look at this moment, we're so many of us are involved in kind of getting through the day, getting through our lives. And we don't look back and say, oh, what did I actually enjoy about today? What didn't I enjoy about today? What would I like to be different tomorrow? Play gives us that opportunity to practice presence. Which is the, definitely one of the keys to experiencing life is wonderful. Being present with what you're feeling, being present with what you're needing, being present with your connections being present with the experience of, of eating and it's just even the activity, right? When, when you're present with it, it's just a different experience versus checking off the box and worrying about all the stuff you got to do in, the, in an hour from now. So if you really want to experience that and play just sort of brings you present right away, it's fun. It also usually brings connection with other people, right? And that's really essential also to experiencing a more joyful and, and satisfying life. And I want to just take one more thing. I want to expand our definition of play. You know, a lot of people think, well, play requires a lot of time. I have to actually go out and engage in an activity, but we can really bring play into our day-to-day -day lives. So for example, at WeHeal, which is where we our virtual platform for that embodies the essence of WeHeal, joking. Laughing, that's a form of play. Little things that you do, turning on music while you're cooking, that's engaging in play, dancing around while you're in the kitchen or dancing on your way to the car to work or dancing on the way back. All of these things are different ways that we can bring play into our daily lives. 
And that's an important thing to think about too. I do a little, you can even do a little test. We'll have people do this where we'll say, do you have kids or grandchildren? You know, little smaller kids or grandchildren. And then turn on a, a song and notice, before you turn on the song, just notice how you feel. And then go and take that same song, play it and dance with the kids to it. And then maybe the song's over in four minutes. Notice how you feel afterwards. And not dancing like you're worried everybody's watching you. Dancing like nobody's watching. And notice the difference in your body and how you feel. And it's quite impactful just to take that. And, and once you see that, say, wow, that was only five minutes, right? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complicated. And that doesn't mean long and different types of play aren't wonderful too. But just to show you, there's all different ways to achieve these, these meet these needs. It's always best for me to dance when no one is watching. <laughs> that's a good point. And we have a one-year-old granddaughter and she immediately dances almost whenever music comes on. And so I really see that connection you're making with presence and play. And we'll certainly do that experiment next time. <laughs> experience that. So I appreciate all of that. So in addition to play, one pillar that jumped out to me among the nine was work. And you might think, well, this is a retirement podcast. What does that have to do with work? But I find that many people actually want to continue working in some way after they quote unquote retire. Tell me a little bit about how work can be helpful from a health perspective. Right. And, and how we define work mm-hmm. is contributing to your to society in a, in a way that's meaningful to you and other people and, and provides a sense of purpose. So we use that as our definition of work. And who wouldn't want to work? If you're thinking, because we love to contribute to other people. That's one of our favorite things to do as human beings is to contribute to other people and care for other people. So to me, this idea of working, slaving away at a job that you don't like for 30 years to get your retirement package is not what I think of as work. So to me, I think that's an important to differentiate. And then at that point, why do you, you don't need to retire. You can definitely slow down in a way that allows you to meet some other needs that maybe you weren't able to in a job that was less flexible in the past. But I love contributing and I can't imagine I'll ever stop. And I think the benefit to health is in the same way. When we contribute in a way that brings us meaning and purpose, we meet our own needs for joy, for satisfaction, for fulfillment. And anytime we're not doing that, right? Anytime that we have needs that aren't being met, right? So let's say we really want to contribute. We, we're just not doing that. We're not meeting our need for contribution. We're not meeting our need for meaning. We're not meeting our needs for purpose. When that happens, our body actually goes into, it, it treats that as dangerous. When our needs are threatened, meaning they're not being met, our bodies will say there's something wrong here. And our nervous systems will respond and mobilize in a pro-inflammatory way, right? So in other words, we will show that when you are mobilized because your body's saying there's something wrong here, this is not okay. We have needs that are really important to us that aren't being met. And then we, when someone else is trying to, you're, you're trying to suppress those needs because you're told you have to work at this job and make a good living. And that's the responsible thing to do. Your body, when you suppress those needs is gonna react in a way that triggers that high alert survival mode threat state. And when you do that, it stimulates inflammation and all the pro-inflammatory cytokines, adrenaline, cortisol, shifts in blood flow that are all great for fighting tigers and terrible for living in them chronically. So that disease starts to develop. So I try to help people understand that sedentary on the couch, 
eating the standard American diet or suppressing these really essential core needs all are stimulate inflammation in your body, which will lead to increased chronic disease risk. So nine pillars, when you think of them, which pillars do many people find the most challenging? Really depends on where they're at. Like I said, there's people that have valued certain parts of our, that's what we call the essence of We Heal, the nine pillars. Some people are really self-connected, but they've never thought about their diet. That's less likely. Usually they're self-connected. They're aware of the impact of food. There's people that all they focus on is their diet, but connection's really out of whack. There's people that are really just having a great time. They're super present, but they don't really know how to communicate and connect with other people. They don't know how to share authentically in a way that's going to bring them closer together other people. So we have to teach different skills to different people at different times, but ultimately they're getting all nine. So it really depends. Would you answer that differently? No, I agree with that. Yeah. So we'll have a link to the book in the show notes. And one thing that really impressed me about it is it does provide a lot of information on how. A lot of questions, exercises, tools, particularly toward the end of the book too, with, with a lot of the follow-up things in the appendix. But in addition to the book, what advice would you offer someone listening who wants to go from wellness to wonderful? We have this, what we tell people is there's, there takes a little bit of support sometimes to get there. So the book gives you the program. If, you can, if you're a self-starter and you can just knock it out, great. A lot of people can use some additional support. And that's why we created WeHeal.Help, which is our telehealth and mentoring program with support groups and classes. Um, classes. So this way, we can help you start to build those skills, cultivate these new behaviors and habits, and un- sort of unlearn the way you've been approaching life to now set yourself up to create that state of life is wonderful. And then we have ongoing support because in a world that's really pulling you off the path, right? There's sort of this path towards life is wonderful and you're not going to always be on it, but to be able to get off, know when you're off and have resources enough to get back on, this is a way that we find is very helpful. And anybody that needs help, there's all different tiers of ways that you can be supported and community Some are in community, some are private and tailored to yourself individually, but lots of options. Yeah. And I think the answer for me is really intention around wanting to make life wonderful. You don't need wellness to wonderful and you don't need we heal. You can figure out your own sense of wonderful too, but for a lot of people, that's a bigger lift. And so what we tried to do both with the book and what we try to do with we heal is take some of that lift off by offering those things that we have found really raise the bar to wonderful. And then in, at WeHeal, how to support that ongoing so that you can sustain a state of life as wonderful. Right. And, and to be able to figure out, hey, this is what I would to answer this question, right? If I asked you this question, what needs to happen between now and when you go to bed? One thing that you could do or say, some action you could take that when you go to bed tonight, you're going to be more likely to be able to say, you know what? That was a pretty darn good day. Right? What could you do? And I'm not saying you even have to answer this question, but to even think about that, it's going to start causing a shift in your body because it's going to say, hey, what do I want to head towards? Right? We can't get to where we want to go by trying to avoid where we are or trying to point out what's wrong with where we are. Right? We talk about you can't learn, you can't become fluent in Spanish by trying not to speak English. So to me, that's another key thing is to start thinking in that terms of what do I want? Where do I want to go? What's one thing that I could do or say in the next whatever number of hours 
that's going to get me closer to that state, right? That to me is a pretty doable, interesting exercise for people. I appreciate that. In my case, it's going to be walk with my wife, my workout. So I run on an indoor machine called the Zero Runner these days, second injured. And most important of all, except for the first one, would be the Celtics, my hometown Boston Celtics, playing the 76ers in the playoffs. Be watching that tonight. There we go. You just rattled off three, three <laughs> things that are going to make life really wonderful tonight. There you go. But I appreciate the practical tools, the motivation, and the, the all the methodology and research behind all this. And really appreciate appreciate your work and what you're doing. And and thanks for highlighting the additional support resources that that we can all tap into. Hey, thank you so much for your thank openness. Thank you so much. Thank you. So it's time to compare notes on what you're taking away from this conversation today that you can put into action. Here are a few ideas to consider. Number one, what do you need to tend to? This is my number one takeaway for me after reading the book, that these nine pillars are intended to be a guide. Don't get them all right as as you heard, but you need to tend to them. If you think about the nine, which are self, nutrition, activity, play, sleep, family and friends, work, spirituality, and the natural world, which ones jump out to you as areas you may need to tend to right now? And the book has a chapter on each of these pillars and really good information and steps, practical steps on what you can do to tend to them and how to care about them. Number two, what do you need right now? This struck me as sometimes a slightly different question than what you need to tend to. But what are those things that you need? Again, after a long career, either in the working world or t- and or taking care of others, sometimes you can put your own needs on the back burner. What are the things that you need right now? Number three, is it time to rethink play? As I mentioned, in the work that I do, I see that this is an area that most of us want to do more in, particularly heading into what used to be called retirement. And what I'm taking away from this conversation is the link between play and presence. You get so absorbed in it, you're having fun, you really are truly present. So find a younger person and observe how they do just that naturally and see how you can do it when having fun in the days and weeks ahead. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. You can browse all of our episodes at our website, retirementwisdom.com. And in the show notes, you'll find additional information on the book, Wellness to Wonderful, the website, We Heal, and four related conversations I've had with other people on related topics. Thanks for listening.